Well, take your copy of God's Word and open it with me to the Gospel of John as we go back to our study in this great book. We're going to pick up where we left off a few weeks ago in John chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 19. John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. Every year in Boston, Massachusetts, in April, there is the Boston Marathon, probably the most popular marathon in America. You have people from all over the world who will come to run in this particular race. Well, in April of 1980, there was a woman named Rosie Ruiz, and it appeared that she won the women's division with a record-setting time. She crossed the finish line at two hours and 33 minutes, which was at the time the fastest time ever for a woman in that race. And for a while, she celebrated, and everybody around her celebrated. But it didn't take long for people to notice that something was not right. For example, she wasn't as sweaty as all of the other runners. She did not appear as tired as all of the other runners. She wasn't as winded as all of the other runners. It turns out that Miss Rosie Ruiz had snuck into the race a half mile before the finish line. She did not run 26.2 miles. She had run 0.5 miles, and she was quickly disqualified. It is amazing what people will do to promote themselves, isn't it? Now, let's be very, very honest. There is nothing that comes more naturally to us than self-promotion. For example, if you're vice president, you want to be president. And if you are a backup, you want to be a starter. If you are second chair, you want to be first chair. It is natural for us that we want to promote our position and we want to promote our opinions and we want to promote our own interest, self Promotion is just how the world works around us. And when you have someone who is completely guided by self-promotion, that person will do whatever they have to do to whomever they have to do it to, to get to the top and to stay on top. But as Christians, however, we are guided by a different principle. Not the principle of self-promotion, but self demotion. And when I talk about self-demotion, please do not misunderstand me. We absolutely should try to do our very best at everything we do for the glory of God. That's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about self-demotion, I'm talking about a way of life in which we put the needs of others and the wants of others above our own. 
Perhaps the Apostle Paul said it best in Philippians chapter 2 when he said, In lowliness of mind, esteem others as better than yourselves. He said, Let no one look out for his own interest, but for the interest of others. That is self-demotion. And one of the greatest examples of this that we see in all of the Bible is in the story of this man named John the Baptist. Now, we started in August our study of the Gospel of John. We've recently finished the introduction. When we come to verse 19, where we're picking up today, this is the beginning of the narrative part of the book. And John the Apostle, the author, he begins with the story of John the Baptist. We're going to look at this section that is 10 verses long. All 10 of these verses describe what happened in just one day in the life of John the Baptist. And as we look at just one day of John's life, we're going to see him doing certain things that we also can do. And there are three things in particular that John does that we can do as a way of demoting ourselves in order to exalt Christ. And first of all, we place the spotlight on Christ. We do this when we place the spotlight of our lives on Christ. Look at verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? John's been preaching for some time and crowds of people were coming to hear him, including some very important people. Finally, some of the religious leaders thought, we better check this guy out. We better find out who he is. He doesn't belong to any of our clubs. He's not a priest, although he was eligible to be a priest, but a rabbi. He wasn't a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a member of the Sanhedrin or any of that. They said, we'd better check him out. So they sent a delegation to interview him, or maybe I should say to interrogate him. And here's their question. Who are you? John was able to read between the lines. He knew exactly what it was they really wanted to know. And what they really wanted to know is if John claimed to be that long-awaited Messiah. Because there was, at that time, this great messianic expectation. They believed that the Messiah could come at any moment, and they wanted to know, John, is that you? And here's his answer in verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. That word Christ means anointed one or Messiah. And notice he says, I am not. In the Greek, he uses the words Ego I me. That becomes a very big deal in the Gospel of John. Ego I me, or I am. Seven times in the Gospel of John, we're going to see Jesus making a major I am statement. For example, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
But here, the first time we see that expression in the Gospel of John, it's not Jesus saying it, it's John the Baptist, but he says, I am not the Christ. Well, they just asked him who he was, and he responded by telling them who he was not. So they're going to get more specific. Look at verse 21. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Now, they're referring to Elijah the prophet. They're referring to Elijah the Tishbite. The Elijah that had preached to Israel, listen, 900 years prior. So is it just me or does that sound like a strange question to ask somebody? Are you Elijah? Why would they ask him that? Well, they asked him that because the last two verses of the Hebrew Bible are a prophecy about the coming of Elijah. It's found in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Listen to this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Notice, this is how the Old Testament ends with a prophecy that one day Elijah will come and get the people ready, prepare them for the Messiah. This is why you have in the Passover Seder the empty chair for Elijah in case he comes to present the Messiah. This is why you have a cup of wine that is poured for Elijah during the Passover. This is why a little boy or a little girl will go to the door to see if Elijah is there. It's a symbol of their belief that one day Elijah himself will come in order to present to them the Messiah. This is why they asked John that question. Are you Elijah? And it's kind of interesting to us that he said, I am not. Because do you remember when the angel Gabriel told John the Baptist, Father Zechariah, your wife is going to conceive in her old age and have a child? And you remember what the angel said? He will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And then the angel quoted this passage from Malachi chapter 4. He was talking about John the Baptist. And in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. And listen to what he said in verse 14. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. Well, why does Jesus say it this way? If you're willing to receive it. Because John the Baptist was not Elijah, but he was the fulfillment of the Elijah prophecy according to Jesus. He was the one who God sent, who was like Elijah, who came to prepare the people, to help them get ready for the coming of the Messiah. But they took that literally. So when they asked him, are you Elijah? They were looking for the literal Elijah. And so John said, no, I'm not Elijah. John is simply John. 
Well, look at the second half of that verse, 21. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. They didn't ask him, are you a prophet? Are you the prophet? What prophet were they referring to? This was Deuteronomy chapter 18. We actually spent a Sunday on that back in February, if you remember that far back. But Moses, before he died, he told the people one day, God is going to send you a special prophet who will be like me, Moses said. He will be a mediator for you. He will speak the very words of God and he'll make it possible for man to see God and hear God and know God. We come to Acts chapter 3 and Peter says that Jesus was that prophet that Moses promised And so they come to John the Baptist and they ask him, are you the prophet? Once again, he says, no. Now, here are three questions. Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And I want you to think about this. If John had answered yes to any one of those, do you know what would have happened? Oh, the people would have celebrated. Maybe they would have put them up on their shoulders. They would have had a party. And then some of them would have taken up arms to start a revolution to try to put John on a throne. And John would have been promoted in the eyes of the people. And at least for a little while, he would have been even more popular and even more famous, even more powerful than he was before And yet, every time they ask him one of these questions, he said, no, no, no. Would you think for a moment about what John could have said? Think about what John could have said that would have been 100% true. He could have said, told them about how he was prophesied in Scripture. That's what he could have said. He could have told them all about how he was miraculously conceived. That was true. He could have told them about how he was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. I mean, come on. Who can say that? John could. He could have boasted about his family being the son of Zechariah the priest or being a Levite. He could have talked about his humble lifestyle or all the people that he had baptized, or all of the bigwigs who came out to hear him preach, and all of that would have been 100% true. But in order to do that, he would have to take that spotlight ever so slightly off of Jesus in order to put that spotlight on himself. And the goal of John's life was to exalt Jesus and put all of the focus on him. He just wants to live in the shadow of Jesus. And if no one sees him, nobody knows him, no one remembers him, that's okay as long as they see Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been to a live theater and at some point during that play, All of the house lights are turned off. 
And there is that one spotlight shining on that one person in the center of the stage. Our lives are like that play. We live in a world of darkness, and there is this one spotlight. And the one person who is to be under that spotlight in our lives at all times is Jesus. One of the ways we practice this thing called self-demotion is by doing everything we can to take that spotlight off of us and put it on Christ. In fact, that's what we're going to be doing in heaven. Did you know that? One day in Revelation, whatever crowns we receive, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take them off and place them at the feet of Jesus. And so part of self Demotion, this life to which we are called, means we place the spotlight on Christ. We see John doing that over and over again. But there's something else that we do. We prioritize service for Christ. We prioritize service for Christ. Look at verse 22. Then they said to him, Who are you? that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Hey, is it just me or does it sound like they're getting a little bit frustrated? They're trying to get a straight answer from John, but he doesn't want to give them one because he doesn't want to talk about himself at all. Finally, they're begging him, come on, please tell us something that we can give to the people who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Well, here's his answer in verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. I told you recently that a unique feature in the Gospel of John Every time John the Baptist appears in this book, he's always being lowered. He's always being taken down a notch. And that is exactly what we see happening here. Notice he is the voice of one crying. Earlier in the chapter, we see that Jesus is the Word who was in the beginning, the Word who was with God and who was God. The Word became flesh. John the Baptist says, I'm not the Word, I'm just a voice. And he's quoting from Isaiah 40, verse 3. And just like Malachi chapter 4, uh, this brief passage at the beginning of Isaiah 40 uh, was all about somebody preparing the people for the arrival of the Messiah. And I want to read this verse from Isaiah 40. Listen to that third verse. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. By the way, I want to point out, John the Baptist takes that verse about preparing a highway for Yahweh, preparing a highway for God. He applies it to himself, preparing a highway for Jesus, which tells us John the Baptist read that verse and understood that Jesus is God. But here's the context of this verse. Isaiah chapter 40 was written 
before all those Roman roads had been built. And in those days, the roads were not surfaced. In those days, the roads were rough. They were hard. And so one day, if a king were to visit a certain town, you know what they would do? Long before his arrival, they would send out workers and they would get to work to smoothen the road and put everything in order. And you know what? It was hard, dirty work because sometimes there were big rocks that they had to dig out and sometimes they were, there were big potholes that they had to fill and they had to do all of this without any of the machinery that we have today. But they did all of this work knowing that the king who was going to come, he might only come one time. But they would do all of that work so that when the king arrived, his way would be smooth. In that context, Isaiah said, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the highway for God. He's talking about a, a spiritual road. And John was the one, through his preaching, he was preparing that road. They kept asking him again and again, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And finally, he thinks about that verse in Isaiah 40. He thinks about those people out there working on that road, preparing for a king who's going to come and visit. He says, you know who I am? I'm just that guy out there sweating in the hot sun, pulling rocks out of the road, filling up potholes, working on that road, getting ready for the coming of the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. That's who I am, and that's all I am. When John was asked to identify himself, he identified himself by his service for Christ. By his service for Christ. And likewise, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, he said, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. You see, part of self-demotion is us choosing to see ourselves as servants of Christ. Part of self-demotion is choosing to serve instead of being served. Part of self-demotion means we understand that the smallest thing we do in service for Christ is so much greater and so much better than the biggest thing that we do for ourselves. You think for a moment about how much might change if we really adopted this way of thinking. If we really said, no task is beneath me. No assignment is too small or too demeaning. Not if it's for Jesus. And you know what? This applies not only to the things that we do in church and the ministries we perform. Oh, that's important too. But this applies to anything we do in service in Jesus' name. I, I read about a, a funny story a number of years ago. There was a well-known pastor out west who was friends with the late Truett Cathy. Now, if you don't know who he was, he passed away a few years ago. He was the founder and the CEO of Chick-fil-A. One of the reasons why we know God loves us is because Chick-fil-A, right? 
Well, Chick-fil-A, uh, the, uh, Turek Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, he was good friends with this pastor. One day he called him up and said, hey, I'm going to be in town because we're breaking ground on a new Chick-fil-A restaurant. And since I'm going to be there, let's get together. Let's have lunch. And so Truett Cathy and this pastor, they met and they had lunch at Taco Bell. <laughs> because Taco Bell, that's why. <laughs> well, after they had lunch, Truett Cathy went to the restroom. He was there for a while. After a while, the pastor got a little concerned, thought, he's been in there a while. Maybe I ought to go check on him. So he goes back and he opens up the door and he found Truett Cathy, the president and CEO of Chick-fil-A, cleaning the men's restroom in the Taco Bell. Not because he had to. Why? Because it was dirty. And he wanted their clients to have a clean restroom to use for the rest of the day. Didn't bother making some big announcement telling people who he was. In fact, had it not been for this pastor telling the story later, nobody at Taco Bell would have known that the CEO of Chick-fil-A cleaned one of their men's restrooms. He did it because he understood this concept of self-demotion. He understood that part of self-demotion is our service for Christ and being willing to do anything at all in service in Jesus' name. Well, there's one more way that we practice this thing called self-demotion that I want you to notice. We promote the supremacy of Christ. We promote the supremacy of Christ. Look at verse 25. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Now keep in mind, in those days, Jews did not get baptized. A Gentile would get baptized when they wanted to become a proselyte Jew. So when John the Baptist came, and he started preaching, and he was baptizing not only Gentiles, but Jews and Gentiles, because everybody needed to get ready and prepare their hearts for the coming of Christ. But when he started baptizing everybody, well, that started to raise a whole lot of eyebrows. And so they said, well, wait a second. You just told us that you're not anything special. You just told us that you're not the Christ. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. So why are you baptizing all of these people? Verse 26 says, John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Why am I baptizing? I'm baptizing because there's someone coming after me who is superior to me in every way. In other words, I'm baptizing in order to get you ready for someone who is so much better. In fact, he's among you now. You just don't even know it. The very next day, by the way, is when John is going to introduce Jesus and say, here he is, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But notice what John says. He is preferred before me. 
I mentioned earlier in our study of John 1, this was a military expression. It means to outrank someone. He's saying, Jesus outranks me. Okay, just how much does Jesus outrank John the Baptist? He said, I am not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandal. I bet many of us have read that statement of John's many times, but have you considered that in the Roman Empire, this job of of untying or loosening someone's sandal was normally the job of a slave? And not only was it normally the job of a slave, but in the Roman Empire, they had different levels. They had different categories of slaves, and most slaves did not have to do this because it was considered too demeaning. Do you realize that even in the first century, most slaves could have said, I'm not going to do that. That's beneath me. It was the lowest of slaves who, when the master came home, would loosen and untie his sandal and then wash his feet You understand what John is saying here? He is not putting himself on the level of a slave and saying, compared to Jesus, I'm a slave. He is not even putting himself on the level of the lowest slave. He's saying, compared to Jesus, I'm way, way lower than that. May I remind you, this is the same John the Baptist whom Jesus said was the greatest man ever born and the greatest prophet ever born. And yet the greatest man and the greatest prophet said, I'm not worthy to loosen his sandal. He wasn't even worthy of a basic task like that. And you know what? When he said that, he wasn't being coy. This isn't hyperbole. He wasn't even exaggerating. He really wasn't worthy to untie the sandals on Jesus' feet. Now, you contrast John's attitude with that of the typical person around us today. In fact, you compare what John is saying to even the typical Christian today. We act as if God really owes us something sometimes, don't we? We act as if we really did God a favor when we decided to follow Jesus. We act as if something is horribly wrong if we go through some trial The first moment that we have to suffer as if God has failed because things did not go our way. And we would never come out and say, I deserve better. But sometimes that attitude, that line of thinking is right there beneath the surface in our hearts. And you know what we've got to do? We've got to seek it out. And we got to rip it out like pulling weeds from a garden. 
And we've got to do this in our own hearts again and again and again. In our passage this morning, they asked John the Baptist five questions. But really, there's one question for us. The question is, will we accept this call to self-demotion? Will we do whatever we can and whatever it takes to get the spotlight off of us and put it on to Jesus? Will we be willing to serve him doing whatever we whatever he asks? Will we see him as being infinitely greater and infinitely more valuable than anyone or anything else in our lives? And can you imagine for just a moment what would actually happen if we did this, if we really began to practice self-demotion? Can you think about all of the conflicts that would not take place? Could you think about the, all the divorces that would not happen? How many people would see Jesus in us if we really were about demoting ourselves I'm reminded of the uh, conductor, Arturo Toscanini, who was the conductor of the New York Philharmonic many years ago. And back in the 1930s, there's this story that is told of Toscanini conducting the New York Philharmonic uh, to, in Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And once they finished performing Beethoven's Ninth, it was so well received uh, the crowd get, got wild, they, they clapped, they, they applauded, they, they cheered, they whistled, they stomped. And he stood there humbly and he listened and he waited for the crowd to calm down. And when the room was quiet, he said something that shocked everybody. Arturo Toscanini said, ladies and gentlemen, I am Nothing. And he turned to the musicians behind him and he said, you are nothing. But then he said, Beethoven. Beethoven, he is everything. He almost got it right, didn't he? Ladies and gentlemen, I am nothing. And you are nothing. But Jesus, he is everything. In other words, he is what matters. He is the one who's worthy to receive all of the glory and the honor and the praise and the power forever and forever. Because Jesus was willing to demote himself for us he demoted himself when he came from heaven to earth. He demoted himself when the word became flesh. He demoted himself when he was born of a virgin and put in a manger. He demoted himself when he lived a life of poverty on this dusty earth. He demoted himself when he went to the cross and he voluntarily laid down his life for your sins and for mine. And it was because Jesus was willing to demote himself again and again and again. 
And because He lives, because He is Lord, it can be said that whosoever comes to Him and believes in Him and receives Him will have everlasting life. Would you join me as we pray? Oh God, we thank You for sending Jesus who was willing to demote Himself again and again that we might be saved. And we know that as followers of Jesus, His example is now to be our example that we also are to accept this call to self-demotion, that life is no longer about us promoting ourselves. It is about living for Jesus. And so, God, would you help us, would you truly help us to take what we've read and what we've learned today and apply it that like John the Baptist, at every opportunity, at every turn, we would take that spotlight off of us and do everything we can to put it on Jesus. And help us, God, that like John and like Jesus, that we would be willing to serve. That we would consider no task beneath us if you are calling to us to do it. And if it is for Jesus. Father, I pray for those who are here this morning who perhaps have never come to that point in their lives of salvation, who've never been willing to demote themselves by coming to Christ, humbly admitting that they cannot save themselves, that we can't deserve this, we can't earn this, but simply coming by faith in Jesus. God, how I pray that this would be that day, this would be that moment that they would come and call upon Him as Savior and Lord and would be saved. God, would you have your way? Would you move in our midst in these next moments? And would you receive all of the honor and all of the glory? For we pray all of these things in Jesus' name.